Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. How are we doing this morning? Good, good to have you here. We want to welcome everybody that's watching online as well. This is Memorial Day weekend, and I don't want to go any further without saying that we live in the land of the free because of the brave, because of the brave men and women that have sacrificed their lives for us to have the the greatest country on earth. And so we want to always make sure that we remember those that have have fought and died for our country. I also want to just take this time to to say and recognize any of you that are serving or have um, presently or you previously have served in our armed services. If you're here today, would you stand? Because we'd like to recognize you as well. If you've served in our armed services or doing that. We do want to thank you for your service. We know that uh, freedom isn't free, that it, it comes at a cost, and we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your service and all that you do, and we're glad that you're here. Today, we're starting a brand new series called This Is Us. And when I mean us, I mean all of us, all of us. Everybody who calls the Met home, you are us. You are the church. You are the Met. You are who we are. Do you realize there's over... 350,000 churches in the United States, over 350,000 churches, and every single one of them is unique. They're all distinct. Some might share the same beliefs. Some might do the the same styles of worship or our ministry, but every single church is different. They all have their own DNA, and it's those differences that attract people to that church. It's also those differences that can make some people want to leave a church, but it's those differences that make the church who they are. But the Met was, was born in the heart of Bill and Cindy when they felt God calling them to start a church that was all about reaching people who had previously never would have stepped foot into a church. They wanted to reach people that wouldn't normally go to church. And so in August of 1996 in South Lake Carroll High School, uh, they started the Met. And the Met began with a vision to be a church that lost people wanted to attend. They wanted to reach people who wouldn't go to church. And the mission was to connect them to God and to one another and to, and to lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And to do that, they built everything around a verse in, in Acts 15, Acts 15, 19. And this is what this verse says. It says, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And what was happening here was, this was the time the church was expanding. This is the time that church was growing. And what they were seeing was people outside of the Jewish faith were coming to know Jesus. They were coming to give their lives to Christ. And so the Jewish people were thinking, well, it needed to be more than just following Jesus. There's got to be more hoops that people are going to have to jump through to be a part of this church. And so they were putting all these stipulations out there. And and some of the disciples went, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on a second. No, no, no. Jesus died for everybody. He died for everybody. So we shouldn't make it difficult for people to follow Jesus. 
And that's what we've done at the Met. We don't wanna make it difficult for you to follow Jesus. So we spend all our time trying to get rid of all those things that make the church resistible to non-church people. See, non-church people, they look at church and they think it's boring. They, they think it's irrelevant. They think it's judgmental. And so we try to make sure that church is exciting, that every time you walk through our doors that you feel welcome, that you feel at home. And every time we speak, we wanna speak in ways that is relevant to your everyday life. Jesus was practical in the way he taught and we wanna be practical in the way that we teach because we want you to grow in your relationship with Christ. And that's what this series is all about. This series is about showing you who we are, why we do what we do, but also what we do to help you grow in that relationship. Now you might be asking, well, if I'm gonna grow in my relationship with Jesus, what exactly is growing? Is my hair growing? Is my beard growing? Is my waistline growing? I mean, what's growing? Well, we feel, we feel that what's growing is your faith. It is your faith in God that you believe and trust that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. He will keep all of his promises. And this is so important because we know in life that you're gonna face storms. You're gonna face difficulties. We talked about that in the last series. We talked about the fact that we had to take courage through everything that we were going through. Jesus said in John 16, that in this world you will face trouble, but take heart because you can trust me. You can trust me. I will get you through all things. I love what Adrian Rogers says, it's Bill's pastor. He, he says that a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And we want you to grow in that faith in Jesus Christ because it can be tested and it can be trusted. And so hopefully that through this series, you are gonna grow in your faith. And to do that, what we're gonna do is you're gonna be able to see some of the other pastors that, that are on staff. We've got incredible pastors here. And this morning, I'm excited to welcome uh, Scott Lamilia. He's our family life pastor. Scott is part of our executive team. Um, he oversees all of your kids from birth to through high school. But he does more than just oversee the kids. He, he actually ministers to the families. He helps parents lead their children well. And today we're gonna to be talking about family matters. So if you would help me in joining Scott LaMiller. Come on out, Scott. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see everyone. Hello. Yes. How are you Rob, doing? Rob looks good as always. He's so classy. He's wearing a suit and I was like, man, I'm in jeans that are too tight for me to wear, but that's, that's okay. We're gonna get through this together. That's you guys it. are cheaper than counseling, so I'm just opening up a little bit here. So you wear, you wear you guys, we know the trick. You wear the jacket that covers the fat, right? And that's what we do. You know, you kind of do that kind of thing. But uh, no, we're glad that you're here. And, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family since you're the family life pastor. Sure. So um, my wife, Jessica, and I, we've been married 13 years this July. And very proud of her for that. It's been yes. amazing. She's great. <laughs> Incredible person. <laughs> she is a saint. She is, uh, relatively speaking. No question about it. <laughs> and then we have two, two little girls. Adeline, she's my oldest. She just finished second grade going into third grade. What? <laughs> and then my youngest, Ainsley, she just finished pre-K going into kindergarten. And so you, can, you can already start to, to see that in my house, it's me and then it's them. It's, I'm the only guy <laughs> in the house. Even our dog is a female. <laughs> so you can probably draw some conclusions about what happens in my home. There's lots of emotions <laughs> yes. and singing and dancing and playing pretend. <laughs> and that's just what I bring to the table. <laughs> yeah, and they right. have their things. It's <laughs> tutus and moo-moos yeah, right. in my house and I wouldn't change it. That's it. Well, it's a great, great family <laughs> and I've, I've got to see the little ones grow up. Yeah, so yeah. That, uh, we're glad you're here. Well, we're talking about family matters and uh, tell us why do families matter? 
Well, I think before we get too uh, carried away with ourselves, we have to recognize how amazing that 1990s show, Family Matters, really was. Can we get some love for Family Matters? Steve Urkel fans out there. Man, that has absolutely nothing to do with anything else I'm about to say, but I just wanted to point that out. It's a great show. So families matter because families have a huge impact on the world that we live in. I mean, they make a significant um, uh, print and who we are as people. And if you were to ask a leader of any nation, civilization, whether it's a, a president or a, even a dictator or an emperor, they would all tell you that for their society to be, to be strong, the family unit has to be strong because families have a way of defining our values and also determining the direction that our culture heads. You see, what happens in your family directly impacts what happens in my family and vice versa. We, we share the same schools, the same roads and so forth. Our communities are gonna be collectively shaped by how strong or how weak our, our families are. But if we were just to set that aside for a moment, although that is very true, families matter because families matter to God. Yes. You could even couch it this way, that God has chosen to tell his story by featuring the family. He's been doing that since he's shared his story with us. Go back to the book of Genesis chapter two and God creates Adam, forms him out of dust and breathes the spirit pneuma into Adam, animating him, bringing him to life. And it's the first time ever God says the words that something is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so he then fashions a woman out of a rib, remember that story? And then he officiates this wedding between Adam and Eve and, and he blesses it. And then he gives him this great news. He says, hey, go and be fruitful. You're gonna have a lot of fun doing that. Go make a bunch of babies. And in fact, make so many babies that your babies have babies and those babies have babies. So there's not only your family, there's subsets of subsets of families. Why? Because I'm telling my story. It's mine and I'm sharing it with you, but I'm gonna feature the family in my story. And then you fast forward in the timeline, we see God still telling that story through families. Like the family of Abraham, the family of David, even the family of Mary and Joseph. Remember that Christmas story? which is really peculiar when you think about it. Why would the Lord God Almighty send his one and only son, the savior of the world into a family? And by the way, this family was somewhat scandalous. At least he put them in a situation where it's scandalous. Remember that Mary was betrothed to Joseph and Joseph thought about abandoning Mary once she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit and, and the angel has to come to him and says, hey, this is God's plan. God's featuring families. Why would he send his son into a family? And why would he do it the way that he did it? Why wouldn't God send Jesus like riding on a lightning bolt from heaven to earth? Like that's flashy and that's how I would do it. Like why did Jesus not just appear out of nowhere? Why did God send Jesus to a womb to go through a tomb only to zoom? <laughs> What's up with that? If not for the very least that God is trying to get our attention and convince us that he is for families and he's telling his story through families. Now. If you are sitting here and, and you do not belong to a nuclear family, you, you don't have kids of your own, you're, you're, not, you're not married, I want you to know this sermon is still for you. There's gonna be some practical application out there. So, hey, listen, if you're single in the house, come on, raise your hand. Let's, come on. If you're single, you wanna mingle, I'm trying to be matchmaker, let's go. Who's out there? If you're single, let me offer some encouragement from God, from my mouth to your ears. Here's what it is. You don't need a significant other because you're still significant without that other. Amen, amen. And not only that, Jerry Maguire's a liar. <laughs> when he told Renee Zellweger's character the very end of that movie, he looked at her and he goes, you can complete me. It was so sweet, but it was so wrong. Like, nobody can complete you. Only, only God can complete us. And yet we're trying to find completion in someone else who is incomplete themselves. Right. So if you're single, just hear this. Don't let this season of singleness go to waste. 
Don't allow it to be defined by solitude. Let it be defined by solidarity, yeah. where you can focus on your marriage to Christ and allow that to be your strength, that to complete you, and everything else will take care of itself. In the very least, you belong to our family. Yeah. We're a spiritual family. And so that's what we're gonna emphasize today. That's it. I know there's a lot of people out there, they hear you saying that God tells you know, his story through families. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of families that are going, I, I, don't, I don't think he's gonna tell my story because my family is, <laughs> is not a story that I really want to be told. So what do we say to people that about that feel like, you know, I don't have the right family that the story should be told through that? I think we all fall into that trap from time to time mm -hmm. where we, we disqualify ourselves from, from God's story being told through us mm -hmm. because we have this picture of what type of family God chooses to use. Uh, and that lie is straight from the mouth of the devil. That God wants to use all families to tell his, his story. And, and part of the reason why we disqualify ourselves, we think there's some families that are more suitable, more compatible with God than others. And the reason that is is because we look at social media a lot mm -hmm. and we see what I'll call the filtered family. It's all over social media. And not only that, it's on billboards. I don't know if you've noticed that churches are really good at doing this, where they put a picture of a family to advertise their church. <laughs> And we believe that all the families there become perfect like them. That I walk into that church and I'm, my family's be gorgeous all of a sudden. And we're gonna have this huge house, looks like Pottery Barn decorated it. I gotta go to that church because I want the Pottery Barn house. We believe this lie. And not only that, do we see this picturesque family, we don't simply just accept that this was a well choreographed, picturesque moment. Instead, we start to draw some conclusions about this family even though it's misguided. Here's what, here are the conclusions that we draw. If you'll allow me for a moment to share with, with you what I'm talking about. We see this family. It's, maybe it's a family of four. They're cuddled together on the couch, grinning ear to ear, and, and they're just having a wonderful time. Their house looks perfectly decorated like they hired an interior decorator like every other week. It's always changing, it's beautiful. And here's what we decide about that family. We then decide that they have everything going right for them, especially when it's compared to the things that we think are wrong about us. So what's wrong about us, they got it going on right. Here's what I mean. That husband and wife, they've been, they've been married for like 15 years. And they're not, they weren't high school sweethearts, they're middle school sweethearts. That's how deep their love runs. They've been in love since middle school. It's a picturesque moment. They both have thriving, incredible careers. The husband, he's achieving, climbing the corporate ladder, so is mom, they're really successful, and yet they still find time to make it to every single significant moment in their kids' lives. They both volunteer in the PTA, they both coach the Little League soccer teams, and I mentioned they have an 850 credit score. I probably should have started with that. Let me tell you about the, the, the little boy. He's a three-time defending spelling bee champion. The daughter, she's a preteen, she already has multiple offers from Division I schools to play soccer. They like to play board games. That's what they do. And they never get bored playing board games, even though the word board's in board games. It's spelled a bit differently, but they never get bored doing it. But when they maybe wanna change it up a bit, they just go outside and find a nearby field. And you know what they do there? Frolic. <laughs> it's just frolic for fun, just frolic in a way. They don't care who knows it, who's looking, it doesn't matter. But when they wanna change things up a bit, they come inside. Now, so sometimes the little boy wanted to frolic a little bit longer. And so because he had to come inside, he gets a little upset about that. And so there, an argument ensues, but it doesn't last very long. No, no, because they, they end those arguments very, very quickly. And they end in an all out tickle fight, <laughs> having a great time. The dad's an incredible guy. I'm mean, amazing. He wakes up super early every single morning and makes his wife breakfast in bed. Isn't that so sweet? He's a side bowl of fruit. It's two egg whites and one half of one slice of gluten-free toast because they have standards and they have, they're nutritious, conscientious. And I would tell you more about this family, but I don't want to bore you with how amazing they are. <laughs> Have you ever met them? 
Me neither. (laughs) They don't exist, but we tend to believe that that's the family that's suitable and compatible with God's story. And we draw the conclusion based on that picturesque, perfect portrait that that's the family God chooses. And if that's the case, I'm disqualified. But let me pull back the curtain and tell you really about that family, that billboard filtered family. Let me tell you about them. The husband and wife, yeah, they love each other, but it's a struggle. They have a hard time making time for one another because they're so consumed with the schedules that they've created, the schedules that their kids are involved in. They know it's a struggle, but it's still still a challenge. They both have great careers. The mom's achieving, she's doing so well, but she carries a little bit of guilt because she wants to pursue her passions and achieve in her career, but she recognizes that that sometimes prevents her from being that active, present mom in the lives of her children. The dad on the outside looks like he has everything going on. It's all put together except for he hates his job, but he can't quit because he makes too much money. And he can't really pursue his passion because if so, to do that, he's gonna downsize and get a smaller house and lose his status a little bit. And that's a tough negotiation. The little boy, he has a learning disability and it makes it really, really hard for him in school to succeed. And the mom and dad are worried about him having confidence in who he is and who God made him to be and succeeding in this world. And the daughter, she's a preteen. Enough said. (laughs) It's a struggle, it's a battle. They try to go to church, but they just can't find a way to really prioritize their lives such that God becomes the central figure and focus in their lives. It's a battle. Now, I don't wanna pretend and presume that your family is a mirror reflection of that unfiltered family, but I would assume, I'd assume that maybe your family and my family look a little bit more like that one than the filtered family. And God's not intimidated by it. God's not looking for perfect pictures. He's looking for us. This is us. We're a little broken. We're a little fractured. Some of us are a lot broken, a lot fractured. We're a little lost. We need some guidance and some help. God's in the building business. Mm -hmm. He's drawn to our brokenness because he's a master builder. Let me tell you about the story God's not writing. He's not writing a story of perfection and pretension. He's writing a story of redemption and restoration. Now the devil would have you to believe that God's writing a story of perfection and pretension. So you keep pretending to be more than you are and you keep entering into this trivial pursuit of perfection because he knows you're never going to arrive there. And at some point in time, you're gonna get frustrated that God hasn't given you the perfect, perfect family and the perfect dream that you always thought that he should. And then you're in despising and resenting God and that that's exactly what the devil wants to do. God's not writing a, a story of perfection and pretension in the lives of our families. It's a story of redemption and restoration. And let me define that very quickly. Redemption means to buy back. And restoration means to make something new out of something that is old. And God wants to buy back our families. He has made a way, he's redeemed us at the purchase price of the blood of his son. And he wants to restore us and make us new day by day by the power of his Holy Spirit if we'll just open up our lives to him and and recognize that's the story he's using families to be featured in. There's never been a perfect family, except for that one, one half of one chapter. You know, remember Adam and Eve, they were perfect. I mean, everything was perfect for one half of one chapter because God always creates things perfectly and then sometimes they become imperfect because of our choosing. Adam and Eve had a great thing going on. They were in love, it was wonderful. Adam was never upset with Eve for racking up credit card debt by spending too much money at Nordstrom. (laughs) Eve was never upset with Adam for spending all day long in the yard while neglecting her needs. I mean, they were a power couple. Everything was wonderful. Adam would look at Eve and say, you're so good, baby, so good. She'd look back at him and say, no, you're so good. And then in unison, they'd say, we's good, cause he's good. 
That was their mantra, that's what they lived by. Everything's perfect, that is, until they abused their free will and chose to violate God's one law, thus causing that perfect shalom in the garden to become severance and, and removal from the garden, separation from God. And then God decided to tell that story of redemption and restoration to buy us back. I'm, I'm reminded of that every day because my family has not gotten this figured out. We're still trying to work this, this thing, this redemption and restoration story. We're trying to work through it together. Some days I'm reminded more of that redemption and restoration story than others. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull back the curtain and invite you into the familiar home, okay? Late last week, Ainsley, my youngest daughter, she's a preschooler. And if you haven't noticed, if you've ever had a preschooler, you know that sometimes they throw fits, <laughs> especially when they don't get what they want. There we were. But this wasn't a fit. This was a flip out. <laughs> I mean, it's a flip out. She's losing her mind. Over, I don't even remember what it was. In this moment, I was reminded of this scripture verse and I found a new application for it. You know the one that says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. <laughs> it was crazy. So what did I do? Well, I stayed calm. That's, that's what I do. I just stay calm, maintain that disposition of peace, and I try to negotiate. I tried, I tried to reason with her. I then put her in timeout so she can collect herself. It didn't work. Why? We all know you can't negotiate with terrorists. Come on. We know. We know how this works. So I then did something uncharacteristic of me. I mean, it was like Hades took over my home. She's weeping, and I'm gnashing my teeth. And so I, sh I shouted. I said, like I just screamed and let that continue for a little bit longer than I just did. I mean, it, it startled her, it startled me. There was silence for a few seconds. We just froze. And then she frantically ran to the corner, the timeout corner, I frantically ran to the closet and got out the vacuum. Because <laughs> that's what I do when I'm stressed out, I clean the house. Like when Jessica comes home some days and it smells like bleach in the house, she knows it was a stressful day. <laughs> so I take that vacuum and I'm vacuuming parallel lines in the carpet. <laughs> have OCD. And while I'm vacuuming, I heard this voice, and here's what the voice said. I can't believe you just did that. You've never talked to your daughter that way before. You've turned a corner, and you can't recover from this. You're a bad father, and you're a pastor. You're a family pastor. Your family's supposed to be perfect. You've lost control, and by the way, your daughter's gonna be a preschool dropout. <laughs> Carry that with you the rest of your life. <laughs> and then I heard this small voice that I've tried to learn to listen to throughout my life. And this small voice said this, I never told you to be perfect. I never told you you're going to be perfect. That's my job. I'm writing a story of redemption and restoration. And right now, your fellowship with your daughter has been lost and needs to be redeemed and restored. So here's what you're going to do. You go take her out of timeout and you hold her, and you cuddle with her on the couch. You don't say a word. You just let her calm down, know that your presence is, is near. And then once she's calmed down, you buy back, you redeem the fellowship and you say, I'm sorry. So I did. And our fellowship was bought back and it was restored. Mm -hmm. See, sometimes in our families, Sometimes redemption can be as simple as I'm sorry. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a double, a double dose of a dozen roses and a dozen counseling sessions. <laughs> I wonder if sometimes that families suffer greatly 
not all the time, but sometimes, I wonder, maybe most of the time, if, if marriages go into foreclosure and relationships go bankrupt and teenagers go wayward because we grew tired and weary of making those redemption payments. Mm-hmm. Redemption costs God everything to redeem our soul. But for us to redeem our situations, it's gonna cost us something too. Mm-hmm. So maybe that means that we're gonna have to let go, let go of that Netflix subscription and take that money and make a payment to a babysitter so us, our spouses, we can go out and date each other again. Maybe it looks like that I'm gonna have to downsize my house and take that equity and put it into a smaller house or rent an apartment so I can take my kids and put them in a school where they are gonna be able to, to succeed a little bit better. Maybe it looks like that I'm gonna have to make a payment such as foregoing Netflix or foregoing news or whatever it is that's preoccupying your time that's causing you to neglect spending quality time with your teenager because this is the time when they're pushing you away, you need to not let them know they can't push hard enough. You draw near to them. See, the devil knows that God's featuring families to tell his story of redemption and restoration. Yeah. So that's why he is so diligent. He's voracious in trying to distract, divide, and devour the families. We have to keep on making those redemption, restoration payments to allow God to write that story in our families. Yeah, it's so, it's so good and so important because that's uh, why we talk about as a church that we want to, you to grow in your faith in God because when you face trouble and you are gonna face trouble, you're gonna face trials, mm-hmm. we want God's voice to be louder than Satan's voice and mm-hmm. that's what happens is we face it and we, we hear Satan's voice and it becomes so much louder than, than, than God's. But see, when God is louder in your voice, when you, in, in your ears, when you hear his voice better, when you fall and you're gonna fall, he teaches us to fall forward. That's what redemption is all about, that we get closer to God through those, those struggles, through what we're going through. There's a Chinese proverb that says that, that we need to provide shade for our children. And the, the idea is that it's one generation that plants the trees and it's the next generation that enjoys the shade. And it's all kind of based on the fact that it's what you pour into your family is what you're gonna get out of your family and what you're gonna see in the future with your family. And it kinda goes around Galatians 6, the 6, 7, when it says that God can't be mocked, that you're gonna, you're gonna reap what you sow. What you put into something is what you're gonna get back. When God said, I can't, I'm not gonna be mocked, that means that you can't kinda play being a Christian. You can't kinda play thinking you're doing things God's way. That you're either gonna get your life in line with what God wants you to do, or you're gonna do something else. And it's where you take the direction of your family is what you're gonna see in the future. And that's why it's so important for us when we think about family matters to keep leading our family closer to God and make sure that everything we do is to get closer to God. So if we're gonna lead our families and and do the right thing, how do we do that? What what is some way that we sow into our families? Uh, Well, I I feel like I need some tools. I need some help. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I feel like that when I became a parent, that I was handed a toolbox that was missing a whole bunch of the tools. Like I needed some additional help. I, I saw a study recently from the Fuller Institute and it said that to become an expert at something, you have to do it for 10,000 hours. When I became a parent, I started off with zero hours of experience. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure if I've reached that 10,000 hour experience mark yet, but even if I had, I still need some additional help. And I've recognized that as many books as I read and as helpful as they are practically, the, the best framework to look at is God's word. So we're gonna do that just for a moment. There's a passage of scripture that in it 
uh, is embedded some very practical things we can do as parents, but also really as families to be able to enrich our lives and align our story with God's story. So let's take a look at this passage real quick. It's in Deuteronomy chapter six. And in this passage, to give you some context, Moses, the leader of the nation of Israel, he has now led them to the outskirts of the promised land, the land of Canaan. They're about to inherit this amazing land that God promised to them after 40 years of wandering in the desert. And Moses is about to hand off the leadership baton to Joshua. And he's about to give a farewell speech to let them know that Joshua is taking over, but also to remind them of their heritage, that, that God was the one that delivered them and God, the one, God is the one that's continued to remain in them if they'll give him permission to do so. So here's what Moses says to the nation of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of goods you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I can't help but wonder what the nation of Israel is thinking when hearing Moses talk this way. Don't forget the Lord. Talk about him all the time in your families and you walk when you rise and you lie down and when you sit, be sure to do that. I'm assuming they're thinking, has Moses lost his mind? How are we gonna forget the Lord? Like, it's impossible for us to forget the Lord. His presence has been so obvious to us for the past 40 years. Don't you, Moses, don't you remember? Every morning we wake up and bread cakes, right there, manna. <laughs> there they are. God provided breakfast for us every day and quail for us in the evening. God demonstrated his presence by allowing water to flow from rocks so we wouldn't die of thirst. God provided his cloud to be able to guide us during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Wow, it's amazing. And not only that, maybe most miraculously, God made it such that the sandals they wore on their feet never wore out for 40 years. <laughs> Come on, ladies. Don't you want a pair of those shoes? I'm thinking, Lord, can I take two? Because that'll last my wife 80 years. That'll save me a lot of money. They knew God's presence was with them. How could they possibly forget? Here's why. Moses understood they were about to go into a land of blessing, that they were gonna inherit a land and take over some wells and buildings and all kinds of other amenities, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a land of, of great prosperity and riches. And because they're going into that land, they're gonna be tempted and, and distracted, that they're gonna be tempted to forget that God is with them and that they need God. If we're really honest with ourselves, we are living in like a Western version of the promised land. Now, this land we live in isn't flowing with milk and honey, but it's flowing with lattes. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it's flowing with honey butter chicken biscuits. Come on now. Uh -huh. We drive on paved roads. We all have indoor plumbing and electricity. We have countless opportunities to be entertained with parks and movie theaters and social media and Netflix and YouTube and, and all types of other awesome amenities. I thank God for them. But here's the problem. What God intended to be the greatest blessing to us sometimes becomes the greatest barrier for us. Mm -hmm. That these blessings can become barriers where we forget about God. And we almost don't need God in a lot of ways based on all the blessings that we have in abundance. Mm -hmm. 
or do we? See, those blessings can become barriers and Moses was trying to tell them and us that we have to very diligently seek after God, especially because we are so blessed. We can't take it for granted. We will forget God if we aren't careful. So there's a couple things that we can do practically to make sure that God's story continues to be a part of our story. And we're gonna go through these really quickly. Number one, the first practical thing we can do is invite God into our story. We have to invite him in. We'd be very diligent and thoughtful about inviting God into our story. When I was 16 years old, I did just that. I said yes to Jesus. At 16, I said, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm gonna follow you the rest of my days. Even though I don't know what that looks like, I don't know everything about everything, I just know one thing about something and that's that I need you. So I invited him into my story and he redeemed my soul, but he did not redeem all my situations. Redeeming my situations, that's my job, to partner with the power of the Holy Spirit to buy back what's broken in my life. And so I have to do it every day because I'm broken. I live in a broken world. Every morning when I wake up, I don't wake up to the sound of my voice singing worship songs. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it doesn't happen. When I wake up, my inclination is to check my phone. What emails have I gotten? How many notifications do I have? And how many people like the pictures I posted last night? And that's my inclination. And it's not bad, but it's definitely a distraction. So I, I have to condition myself and I wake up to say, God, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God, I need you. I can't go today without you being present and active in my life because I will fall into the temptations of getting distracted. And before long, that distraction becomes distance and I'll forget about you. And then a lot of things happen. We have breakfast and we're trying to get the kids ready for bed and everything. And then I get into the car and I have to invite God back into my life because it's crazy out there. Driving around, I'm tempted to ride someone's, it's really hard for me to listen to a worship song while riding someone's bumper. Singing a lot, it's hard for me to do it. So I have to invite God into my car. I listen to worship songs just to help, help me. Then when I get to the office, in case you didn't know, I work at the Met. <laughs> when I get to the office, I have to invite God back into the office. It's not because I work with a bunch of heathens. Most of our church staff is saved. It's a joke. <laughs> but here's why. Because I'm tempted to do God's work without God. Because I've been doing this for 12 years now. And I kind of figured out a lot of it but there's so much more that I don't know. I need, I need God to work in me and through me. And I, I need to invite him back in and remember that I desperately need him. And then when I go home, I try to invite him back in mm-hmm. because when I get into the driveway, I'm tired. Are you tired when you get home from work? I'd assume you are. I'm tired and I wanna go in there. You know what I wanna do? I wanna go in there and get my fifth cup of coffee. Coffee, don't judge me, I'm sorry. I get my fifth cup of coffee. <laughs> I wanna sit on the couch and I just wanna do this <laughs> and do nothing, but I can't because I have little kids. So I pray, I say, God, I'm inviting you back into my life right now. So when I get in there, I wanna make sure I have grace and I have joy because my kids deserve that. Because one of two things is gonna happen. Either I walk in and my kids are gonna run to me and go, daddy, want to give me a big old hug. And I don't wanna go, I'm, I'm just, daddy's really tired. Just give me, a, I wanna reciprocate that. Pick them up and give a big old hug and kiss them and love on them. Either that's gonna happen or I walk in there and they're gonna be at odds with one another fighting. And I don't want the first sound of my voice that they hear is, hey, Would y'all cut it out? That's the first time they've seen me since this morning. I want them to hear me go, hey, lady. Like if they're arguing, I want to walk in going, hey, ladies, I'm so glad to see. Hey, Jessica, can you deal with this? No, I'm just kidding. That's not what happens. (laughs) That's not what happens. I want to be able to go to them, give them a kiss, and then try to to bring some resolution. We have to invite God into our story every single moment of every Mm -hmm. single day. Otherwise, we'll, we'll, we'll forget about God because it's so easy to do that. Yeah, it is. I think what we have to realize that, you know, our destiny doesn't happen by chance, it happens by choice. And your family's destiny doesn't happen by chance, it happens by choice. And when you choose to invite God into your life and into your family's everyday life, 
That's when you see the change happening. Proverbs uh, 9.10 says that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And it's not saying that we need to be scared of the Lord. What it's saying is you're putting God in his proper place. You're putting him where he needs to be, which is first in your life. And when you look at your calendar, when you look at how you're leading your family, do you see God as first in your life? Do you see him in, at first on the calendar? Because that's where you're leading your family. You need to put him, put him first. Joshua, who Moses um, handed the, the baton over to lead the, the nation of Israel into the promised land. What he said in Joshua 24, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. See, he knew that he was going into this land of milk and honey. He knew they were gonna be a lot of distraction. He also knew he was going into a land that there was people there that were worshiping other gods. And you gotta realize that in your life and in this world, we've got so many distractions that are trying to, to get our time, to try to get our attention. And the fact is, if we don't say, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord, we're gonna put God first, we're gonna see us start drifting and start going off. And that's why it's so important to start with that first thing is put God first. What's yep. the next thing we do? Uh, the second thing is involve other people in your story. Mm -hmm. So in, involve. The nation of Israel, they understood communal living. Um, there was a study that came out recently that, that identified that some Hebrew households were up to 80 people. So they clearly understood the importance, moms and dads in particular understood the importance of bringing in as many like-minded, value-oriented people into the lives of their kids and into their family to help make sure that, that God's story continues to be the prevailing story in our lives. We need the exact same thing. The devil tries to isolate us and tell us that, that it's, it's scary and dangerous and not worth our time to invite people into the unredeemed, unrestored parts of our family, but we have to do that. There's a verse in scripture in James 5.16 that says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you may be healed. I wonder if there's some areas of, of unresolved tension and, and some um, areas of toxicity that need healing, some unredeemed, unrestored areas of your family and my family because we have kept the curtain closed and we're not inviting trusted God-centric people into that part of our story. Mm -hmm. we, we have to, to be able to experience that freedom and for God's story of redemption and restoration to be told in us and through us. That's one of the reasons why we place so much emphasis in Met Kids and Met Youth on small groups. And we do it in our adult ministry as well, because I recognize as a parent that at some point in time, the effectiveness in my voice in the lives of my kids is going to wane and someone else's voice is going to gain. That's right. And I wanna make sure it's a strategic voice that I have placed, the church and, and my home have worked together to place that voice in their lives. So that way when Adeline or Ainsley get to a point in time where they feel like they can't tell daddy and mommy everything, which I hope they will, but let's be honest, did you tell your parents everything? Ha! No! So I couldn't possibly expect them to do that too. But I do expect them to tell somebody. Who's your teenager somebody? Who is it? I wanna make sure that when I say who is it, that I know them by name and I know their story and I know that their story is God's story. Mm -hmm. So that when Adeline and Ainsley go and talk to them about something troublesome in their lives, that they have somebody who's gonna say the exact same things that I would, but they receive it because I didn't say it and they did. We all, we all need that. We need to involve other people into our lives yeah, so that way we can have God's story of redemption and restoration to be told continuously in us and through us. Yeah, when I'm hearing you say this, I'm, I'm thinking of Proverbs 13, 20, what it says, those who walk with the wise will be wise. Mm -hmm. And we need to realize that it's who we surround ourselves with. Parents, you need to look at who your kids are hanging out with. You need to look at who you're hanging out with. Is everybody that you're hanging out with leading you closer to God or further away from God? Every family that I talk to that has gone through something or is dealing something with their kids, 
It always starts with this story. The story always starts the same way. They had these friends. It always started with who they were hanging around with. And you've got to look at that and say that, man, I've gotta make sure that my kids are going in the right direction. See, your direction determines your destination. You can have the best intentions. Man, I just want, I wanted to live for God. I wanna do everything for God. But if you're going in the wrong direction, you're gonna get to where you're going. And if you wanna go where God wants you to do, you've gotta go in that direction. You gotta surround yourself with the people that are going in the same place you are. And that's why it's so important to have you get involved. I know. Sometimes you think that, that you know, we're just blowing smoke up here when we say you need to get your kids into our groups. You need to get your kids, you know, in, in, in uh, pre, um, uh, met kids and all of the different things we do. But I'm telling you, you need to do that. I've, my kids have grown up, uh, you know, under your ministry and, and been through met kids. My, my son just graduated, you know, mm-hmm. so all the way through this. And it's because he's surrounded with solid groups of people and solid leaders that he knows he has people we can talk to when he feels like he's not going the right way. So it's important. What's our last thing? Last thought, quickly, invest. Invest in what matters most. Uh, I'm gonna be vulnerable for a second and tell you that I want my kids to be happy. (laughs) I do. I I really want them to be happy. I think sometimes that gets a bad rap because we think, well, uh, happiness and holiness are not the same thing. Well, (laughs) to some degree, but you know the word blessing means? Happy. Happy. I want my kids to be happy. That's why I buy them happy meals. It's got the word. <laughs> it's the reason why, even though they have billions of them, I still buy them Beanie Boos. I mean, they're all over the place. Beanie Boos are taking over my house. I still buy them for my kids. <laughs> it's the reason why we collectively, as parents, we spend countless time, energy, and resources and putting them in stuff. It's why we spend money on hiring coaches and instructors so they can jump farther, run faster, score higher on tests, sing better, dance dance better. It's, it's because we want them to be happy and we think that happiness is the precursor to success and that they're inter, interrelated, that if they're successful, they're going to be happy. And, and I want those things for my kids too. I, I want them to marry the right person and get a really big house and, and have a lot of cars. In fact, I want them to have such a nice living situation that someday Jessica and I can move into their house. <laughs> they can start changing our diapers. Yeah. It goes around, comes around. I want that for them, but if I'm not careful, I'm gonna put my hand out and willingly accept the yardstick that culture offers to me and then put it in front of my kids and measure them up according to how the world defines success. Mm-hmm. Now, is that a bad thing in and of itself? Perhaps not, but wouldn't it be tragic if they achieved in every single area, by every metric, they were successful and yet didn't know God? Mm-hmm. So here's what I have to do. I have to continue to evaluate the rhythm of my life and define where my time, energy, and resources are going to and ask myself, am I investing as much in what really matters as I am in things that don't matter so much? Because 100 years from now, nothing will matter more for my little Adeline and my little Ainsley Mm -hmm. than who they say Jesus is and how they walked with him. That's what matters. So here's my encouragement to you. Don't make this more difficult than it is. I'm asking you to evaluate your rhythm. And that's how you conduct your affairs. And, and by the way, you, you, you probably have a rhythm that seems uh, repetitive. What you do on Monday, you'll do next Monday. What you do on Sunday, you'll do next Sunday. And so evaluate that rhythm and disrupt it a bit so you can invest what matters most. Start small, one step at a time. Maybe it means as a family, we're gonna start praying together. Dad, I know that's weird. It's awkward if you haven't ever done it before. And if you have a teenager, they're gonna think you lost your mind. But try it. 
Maybe it means you're gonna read the Bible together. You're gonna do a devotion together. You're gonna serve together at the food pantry. Here's why I'm saying that. So you gotta disrupt the rhythm. The definition of insanity is expecting a different outcome while doing the exact same thing you've always done, right? Create a different rhythm so you can invest in really what matters. Make the steps small, especially dads. We wanna go all in. We're gonna, we're gonna serve God now. Give me your phones. Collect the phones. Here's the Bible. You're gonna read the Bible. We just go all out. Take small steps because our kids and our spouses their strides aren't as big as ours. Small steps, so the pace of that rhythm is one that everybody in the family can keep up with and we don't leave them behind in the dust. That's it, that's it. You know, and I think as parents, we need to realize this, that, that our kids are gonna look at more of what we do than what we say. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important. They're looking at seeing what you invest in. Are you investing in things of God or are you investing in things that are, that are uh, in the secular world? They're gonna look at those things. And it's so important because when you look at the, the story that you talked about in Deuteronomy 6, that as they go into the promised land, remember Joshua is saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, all the others were saying, yeah, we're behind you, Joshua. We're right there. We're doing the exact same thing. We believe, we believe. Well, in Judges 2, when you skip over, you'll see that when Joshua dies, that next generation didn't know God. Mm -hmm. It's because it was lip service. They weren't actually doing what they say. And that's what we were talking about in this series, This Is Us. The reason why that we do the practical teaching that we are, that we have the points of of things that you need to do is because we want to give you something to do. Because it's when you do that, your faith grows. Jesus said that when he was doing the, the, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and in, at, when he was ending that in Matthew 7, he said, those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice, they are the wise people who are building their house on the rock. See, when you take advice, when you hear what God wants you to do, when you hear these points and you start putting them in your life, that's when you see the result. That's when your family has got that perfect rhythm that you're talking about. And that's what we want for each family here is to have that perfect rhythm. So don't just listen to what we have. Take these, take these words, get your kids involved, but more importantly, you need to be involved because you are the ones that are leading your family and they're gonna follow your example. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, he says, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. As parents, are you imitators of Christ? Because that's where you're leading your family. Whatever you're modeling, that's what they're following. And we want you to follow hard after God. Mm. So let's pray and we can get out of here. We talked a little bit too long. So we'll, we'll end this and we'll have a great Memorial Day weekend. So dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for just always being there for us. God, you have invited us into your family. We are your sons. We are your daughters. And we see how much you love us, how much you care for us, and that you are always there for us. And help us to... Model that love to to our families. Help us to realize that that you forgive us and we need to forgive our families, that, uh, that you are there in our time of need and we need to be there in the time of need. But God, also what you're there for us is pointing us to the way that we, need sh- we should go. And God, help us to do that. Help us to point our families in the direction they need to go. Help us to be the examples that we need for our kids. Help us to be that generation that's planning those trees so that the next generation enjoys the shade of what we've done. God, we want to to impress upon that on the hearts of all of our families and all of our kids, the love for you of putting you first. So God, help us to put you first in all things. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, Amen. amen.
If you've got any prayer needs, we've got prayer team that would love to pray with you. Also, we would like you to continue to be in prayer for Cindy. Um, she is still uh, on life support at this point in time. They're, they're working very hard to try to get her off the ventilator at this point. If you want more information about her, if you go to Facebook um, to Met Church, we have a, a group called Prayers for Cindy. And uh, you can get all the information of what's going on there. But be in prayer for, uh, for Cindy and the entire Ramsey family as we go through that. And because as a church, we are one big family and, and we thank you for your prayers. We'll see you next weekend. Have a wonderful Memorial Day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.